0: Well, good morning, and happy Sabbath. It's a privilege to be here with you this morning. Well, it's been an interesting week, to say the least, hasn't it? I don't know if you were watching it as it unfolded on Wednesday, or if somebody commented to you along the way, have you seen the news? No, what are you talking about? Well, you might want to check it out. I know these pictures are not necessarily new to anyone, Has the mob invaded the capital, and... Somehow, force their way in. Uh, and I just found myself taking screenshots along the way saying, This is crazy. I can't believe this is actually happening. I mean, they were just escorting them in. The guy that was talking on this live stream was saying, You know, typically you go through, and many of you, I know I've been in the Capitol, and, and like many of those things, you go through a lot of security, a lot of searching all the bags. They're just waltzing in. Who knows what's in their backpack or what they're carrying, and they just keep coming and keep coming. Uh, And then some of these images were really startling to me. I mean, literally hanging from the rafters right here, where they do all of their legislative work, people being carried away uh, or escorted away, guns drawn. This individual, I guess this is Nancy Pelosi's office, I've since learned. He's going to probably be in for a world of hurt. But it just seemed unprecedented. And people were saying, this isn't the type of thing that happens in the United States of America. Maybe a banana republic, but not this country. And it seemed very odd, you know, even the poster here, Save America. This idea that this is what is required to save America. And of course, Biden was making his appeals and so on. And then some of these clips are interesting. Extremists intensify calls for violence ahead of Inauguration Day. Yeehaw! Right? We have that to look forward to. And then we have Twitter bans Trump, citing risk of further incitement of violence on several major networks, and and you've probably seen that too. I have to be careful here because I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. Whether you agree Trump should be banned from Twitter or not, whether you think he was the one that incited the violence or not, I'm not wanting to wade into that this morning. I don't feel like that's really our place or purpose here. But I do believe it's a wake-up call to these unprecedented events and times in which we are living. I've never seen anything quite like this before. I imagine you haven't either. You know, the most powerful nation... And we can't keep people out of our legislative house. What an embarrassment, as the world looks on. And then, for the first time in the world, we have this dynamic. I don't know if you've seen the documentary. It's called The Social Dilemma. And if you haven't seen it, it's worth watching. Not been put out by the church. But it talks about this idea of big tech companies and social media and all of these things. It's unprecedented how now we live in a world where freedom of speech can literally be taken from you by a big tech company because they feel like you're inciting violence or something else. And again, I'm not making a judgment on what they've done, but the dilemma, the social dilemma is, and they have seen and they have documented in this documentary multiple times where countries, governments leaders have been toppled and brought down at the hands of social media, if you will, as they use that as their platform to communicate and all get on the same page and ramp it up and the whole thing. And so social media has an obligation on the one hand to try and keep that from happening. But then on the other hand, who's the one making those decisions? There's no court there's no judge, there's no jury, there's no elected official, it's a few people toggling a few buttons on a computer. And so we find ourselves in this dilemma, this day and age in which this big, these big tech companies now are deciding who in fact has a voice or not. For a long time, the Seventh-day Adventist church was maybe a little slow to get behind and say, okay, we need to have a Facebook page, we need to have a Twitter feed, and, and all these other things, and many of our church leaders are doing that now, but we live in an age where just a toggle of the switch, and you are banned. What did I read? Trump has some 88 million followers or something that he can communicate with instantly or not. We live in interesting times, to be Sure. And so today I'm starting a series, not because of this, it was going to happen anyway, I was kind of waiting for the holidays and different things, but I'm entitling it Final Events as we look at where are we headed. It seems everyone's asking the questions, and so over the next several weeks I want to take some time to look at where we're headed, both from the Bible and from the spirit of prophecy. What can we expect to see? How can we better prepare for what is breaking upon the world? What should be our response to the things happening around us? And you may be wondering, well, what are some of the things he's hoping to cover? Well, I'm thinking about the end-time catalyst, or what triggers last day events, that's today. What is the abomination of desolation? What are the different stages of the Sunday law? We're going to talk about the new world order, and how we should prepare. What about the little time of trouble, and when does that start? How about the idea that we should flee from the cities? When should we do that? Also, when's the latter rain going to be poured out? How does the death decree occur? What will happen in Jacob's time of trouble? And how will God deliver his people? And then lastly, the joy of the second coming. And if you've been an Adventist for long, you recognize these terms. But if you're like me, at times they all get a little bit jumbled together. And if you weren't just studying it yesterday, you get confused as where that all fits in the lineup. And so we're going to be taking some considerable time looking at these various topics and final events. Sometimes as a pastor, it's hard to figure out where this all fits in. I've been in churches before where they say, Pastor, we don't want to hear about all of this stuff that's largely in in spirit of prophecy and, and prophecy and time charts and all the rest. We want it to be seeker sensitive to anyone who comes. I'm fine with that, with this caveat. If you go to a Baptist church, you expect to hear a Baptist sermon. If you go to a Catholic church, you expect the Mass to be as follows. And so when you come to an Adventist church, I'm expecting that you want to hear an Adventist sermon. There may be some things in here that are new to you and you say, I've never heard that before, where is he basing that off of, I don't know. And if so, please come talk to us, we'd love to study with you further. But I'm going to be making some assumptions that you're starting from a certain baseline. But then we're going to go beyond that. And so a big part of that is going to be we're going to be using not just the Bible, but the spirit of prophecy. I don't make apologies for that. We are a people that live by the book, right? Meaning this book. But we have to be careful in not throwing out spirit of prophecy because it's this book that tells us God's end time people are going to have the gift of prophecy. So if we're going to be people by the book, we need to follow what the book says in regards to prophecy. Does that make sense? To do otherwise would not be biblical. And so we don't make apologies for that. But at the same time, it's important for all of us to understand that all of our doctrines, all of our teaching comes from scripture. But just as God has sent his prophet all the way through something major that's been impending, he's done the same for this period of time. And we'd be foolish, I believe, to disregard it. The other thing I want to emphasize is that our focus here is not going to be on doom and gloom, but on Jesus. We do need to be informed about what's going to happen in the future, but an understanding of the crisis without an understanding of the Christ does not enable you to go through the crisis. An understanding of the pain without an understanding of the promises only leaves you to struggle. An understanding of doom without an understanding of deliverance only leaves you depressed. So we not only want to face what is coming, but face it confidently and courageously in Jesus Christ. And so that's going to be our goal in all of this. So you may be saying, why study last day events? A couple Bible verses here. There was a special group of people living in the days of Israel called the tribe of Issachar and it's written about them in this way in First Chronicles 12 verse 32 of the sons of Issachar who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. It's important for us as God's people to have an understanding of the times so we know what we ought to do. That perhaps is one answer. Romans 13, 11, Paul says this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of our sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Do you believe that? Some critics are saying things like, you've been preaching the second coming of Jesus as a denomination for 157 years. Isn't it time to revise your theology? And to which I respond, no, absolutely not. He who is coming will come and will not tarry. Friends, the fact that we've been organized as a church for 157 years doesn't mean we're 157 years further, but we're 157 years closer to his coming. Did you know that one in every 25 verses in the New Testament is about the second coming of Jesus? That's quite a lot. Further, did you know one Bible scholar count at least 1,500 scriptural references to the second coming? Does God want us to understand end time events? He does. Do you suppose it's important to God that we have an understanding? It is. And so, for this first one on this series that we're starting, Final Events, Part 1, I've entitled it, The Point of No Return. And I invite you to go with me. Let's just have an additional word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we begin this series, we pray that you will show us, guide us, lead us through your word that we may better understand is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you ever play with dominoes as a kid? Now, I don't think I ever can really recall actually playing dominoes as it said in the box. But I do remember playing dominoes. I mean, this floor here would have been perfect. And you set it all up, little piece by little piece, and it doesn't take long. No one, what are you doing over there, my older brother? I'm setting up some dominoes. What are you doing that for? look i'll show you and he'd hit the one end you remember this right and it would go and it just like that was done i also remember accidentally knocking a part of it over too soon did you ever have that happen done oh that took me a half hour we got smart We found that if you took out a domino or two in a few key places, if you accidentally hit it at the wrong time, but when you were ready, you put in all the final pieces. Hey, Mom, Dad, come here. Get out your smartphones. Yeah, right, like there were smartphones when I was little, but we can pretend. (laughs) Take a slow-mo of this. I did some looking online. Lily Hevish is an American domino artist originally from New Hampshire. She's one of three children. She was given her first domino set at age 10. I think I could safely say that she loved it. Were their domino sets getting more and more elaborate? She did a project. In fact, this project that you're watching her set up, she did this last summer of 2020. I guess she had a little extra time on her hands. She says this wasn't for a company brand, it was for herself and for her own enjoyment. And she hoped to set a new personal record, which she did. It took her 82 days to build. 32,000 dominoes to put that in perspective. If she took weekends off, it would take her four months to complete this project. After taking literally hundreds of hours to put it together, it only takes four minutes and ten seconds to topple it. That's an average of 128 dominoes dropping per second figured that out myself are you impressed (laughs) but I'm just going to show you a minute and a half of it and you'll see at one point she spells out her name and other things here's the part that I thought was most impressive here it spells out the word amazing and it just keeps going and going this part I thought was incredible here you have stacked dominoes it's going through the wall of stacked dominoes right here I think it almost no, it's going to go back around. It almost topples at one point, the wall. <laughs> but it keeps going and going and going. She had all kinds of things that she had designed. Now it's going to go into the next room, up the wall, down the wall, around the corner. I hope her camera's filming because if not, it's too late. I'd never seen anything quite like this before. But these are some of the things that you can find on YouTube. YouTube. I mean, this is just a brilliant waste of time. <laughs> Hits the target, keeps running around this way, that way, and whoom, room, room. If, if I could have had it spell out something, I would have said, he's at the door, but that'll come in a minute. You can search for it on YouTube and watch the whole thing. We'll see how many of you actually do that. Maybe you've seen enough. But this is really impressive to me. We're going to have an aerial shot here in just a moment. And it just almost doesn't look real. I mean, isn't that something? But I want to ask you a simple question. What is the catalyst? You might say, why did you show me that? Why did you take that much of my time? Because I think it paints the picture well that things that can take months, years, centuries to set up can unfold and be fulfilled very, very quickly. And we are told that the final events will be rapid ones. And so my question this morning is, what is it that will trigger the end of the world? Or as this slide says, what will be the catalyst for the end time events? What will it be? What will be that finger that pushes it past the point of no return to rapid succession before everything culminates just very, very quickly? You know, Seventh-day Adventists, we've always looked at things going on around us and tried to see how they fit into last-day events. And we live in a time where a lot of things are being said. Once the Pope says this or the President says that, that will be the sign that the world is about to end. Others say that They have certain time prophecies that connect 1844 to the Sunday law, even though those dates don't exist in Scripture. You have to do some gymnastics to try and do that. But people nonetheless are trying to to make those claims, and that's not anything new necessarily. They've been doing that for a long time. But again, what does the Bible say? What does Spirit of Prophecy say about what is this catalyst Here's another way from a more scientific standpoint to define what a catalyst is. Here on the left you have reactions, and if it has to go all the way, you have to have all this energy to get to the top of that curve before you get the outcome you want. But with the catalyst, the green, it's much less. You say, Pastor, you've lost me. Well, maybe look over here. It's like a wheelbarrow with rocks, and a catalyst is like leveling off that hill, so it's a lot easier to get your rocks to the bottom. You say, well, I still don't know if I understand. Okay, well, how about this one? Instead of winding through the mountains, it's like an interstate that just plows right through. Would it be faster to go to Grandma's house that way? It would. And so that's this idea of a catalyst. So in our simplified version of a catalyst with dominoes, the finger that pushes down the very first domino is the catalyst that starts the rapid chain reaction. And so, after thousands of hours and days and months of preparation, when everything is ready, when everything is set, the finger topples just one domino and we're off. Friends, I believe the table is set. And I believe at any moment, the divine finger of God will set in motion the final scenes of Earth's history and the final moments will be rapid ones. And you say, Oh, it's not going to surprise me, Pastor. I'm ready. What we're going to see as we look at a parable again today that you're probably familiar with, as ready as you may think you may be, we're all asleep to when this is going to actually occur. Last Day Events, page 11. Tell me if this doesn't resonate. We just went through this in prayer meeting this last year. The present is a time of overwhelming interest to all living, Christians and non-Christians alike. Rulers and statesmen, Men who occupy positions of trust and authority, thinking men and women of all classes, have their attention fixed upon the events taking place about us. Do you see that? They are watching the relations that exist among the nations. They observe the intensity that is taking possession of every earthly element. And they recognize that something great and decisive is about to take place. That the world is on the verge of a stupendous crisis. Which is why for years now, people have been building bomb shelters, millionaires, billionaires, trying to find some refuge of safety because they see something coming. We're living in the time of the end. He writes in Volume nine of testimonies page 11. "The fast-fulfilling signs of the times declare that the coming of Christ is near at hand. The days in which we live are solemn and important. The spirit of God is gradually, but surely being withdrawn from the Earth." Friends, clearly, this is happening. If you don't see this, you're asleep. Plagues and judgments are already falling upon the despisers of the grace of God, the calamities by land and sea, the unsettled state of society. And the alarms of war are pretentious. Have you heard any alarms of war in this country because of the unsettled state of society? They forecast approaching events of the greatest magnitude. The agencies of evil are combining their forces and consolidating. They are strengthening for the last great crisis. Great changes are soon to take place in our world, and the final movements will be rapid ones. Friends, we know a trigger will come. A catalyst will come, and when it does, the final movements will be rapid ones. The condition of things in the world shows that troublous times are right upon us. The daily papers are full of indications of terrible conflict in the near future. Bold robberies are frequent occurrences. Strikes are common. Thefts and murders are committed on every hand. Men possessed of demons are taking the lives of men, women, and little children. Men have become infatuated with vice, and every species of evil prevails. Do we see that? We do. The enemy has succeeded in perverting justice and filling men's hearts with a desire for selfish gain. Justice being perverted. Every species of evil is prevailing. Clear signs that we are living in the time of the end and that great changes are about to take place and the final movements will be rapid ones. I don't need to remind you COVID 19, civil unrest surrounding George Floyd. And it all happened quickly, virtually overnight, and the whole world changes. Who would have thought a year ago today that we would be in the midst of a pandemic, that civil unrest would start to overtake the United States of America? When is the last time that you were nervous about an inauguration breaking out into a civil war? We live in uncertain times and scary times. But because of our trust in the Lord, friends, we don't have to be afraid. Why? Because he knew all this would happen. He gave it to his prophet to give to us. And so as nerve-wracking as it can be, we can say, you know what? We serve a God who's in control, who knew it would unfold this way, and he warned us. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. Second Selected Messages, page 402, it says, We are rapidly approaching the end of earth's history, and as we realize that Jesus is indeed coming soon, we shall be aroused to labor as never before. That should be our response. Shelter in place? Wait for it to pass? Hope for the best? No. Aroused to labor as never before. We've been talking about that in this church. I preached a message entitled, Work for the Night is Coming When No Man Can Work. Did a three-part series this summer on Seeking the Lost. Did a three-part series on the three angels' messages of Revelation 14. In 2020, we had not one but two full evangelistic series, both in the midst of COVID-19. Friends, most churches across NID haven't had a series for several years. We've had two. And we already are planning for another one this fall. I'm hoping that one will be live. Why? Because I feel like our time is short. We should be aroused to work like never before. We are bidden to sound alarm to the people and in our lives we are to show forth the power of truth and righteousness. At this time, people are to see something in us, to see righteousness in our lives, to see truth in our own lives. This is what gives our witness power, does it not? Continuing on, we are to raise the banner on which is inscribed the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Obedience to God's law is the great issue Friends, this is the three angels' messages of Revelation 14. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. And what is the test question? Obedience. Let it not be put out of sight. We must strive to arouse church members and those who make no profession to see and obey the claims of the law of heaven. We are to magnify this law and make it honorable. Are we magnifying the law of God? Are we holding up the law of God? Because that will be the issue. That's the test question, obedience. Obedience to what? To his law. Well, pastor, I don't want to do that. Well, why not? They're going to call me a legalist. Wasn't it David who said in Psalm 119, pretty much throughout the psalm, but in 97 and 98, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies. And we could do a whole comparison. We're not going to do it this morning. But how the law and the character of God are synonymous. They go hand in hand. And how we understand the law is a transcript of God's character. But friends, as we look around us in this time in earth's history, the law is being trampled on every side. But let us, as Seventh-day Adventists, hold our heads up high and declare like David, I delight in your law. Is the meditation all the day. makes me more like Jesus. makes me wiser than my enemies so that we can meet the final crisis. But let's get back to this question. What will be the catalyst for the end time events? What will bring the end of the world? Some are trying to make arguments for certain time prophecies that I've already mentioned. Others are saying COVID-19 is the siege of Jerusalem, which we've always understood as the Sunday law, but now people are saying it's COVID-19. So there's a lot of ideas, there's a lot of confusion, but really what helps us understand the trigger or the catalyst that will wake up the church and trumpets the end of the world truly has arrived is a picture that Jesus himself paints in Matthew 25. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 25, a story that we're familiar with, but we're gonna look at it again. Matthew chapter 25. And while you're turning there, I just wanna remind you, we understand, I believe, most of us here, that the 1260-year prophecy takes us to 1798, which identifies the time of the end. We have presentations. We've done that before. We understand the 2300-day prophecy takes us to 1844, the beginning hour of God's judgment. But when it comes to the end of the world, the end of all things, we need to look at Matthew 25 for that picture. What causes the church to be aware that Jesus is actually at the door. And so let's read that now in Matthew chapter 25, beginning verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Now in every kingdom of heaven parable, Christ is addressing his church. And we also have ten virgins. Ten is the smallest number of Jewish men required to establish a synagogue or church. Another symbolism for the church. We have a woman, or these virgins are women, in the Bible representing the church. We have the pure woman of Revelation 12. We have the adulterous woman of Revelation 17. But the picture here is of pure, undefiled by false doctrine. It's a pure woman, a pure church. And they have lamps representing the word of God. I already quoted from Psalm 119, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And they went out to meet the bridegroom, meaning they expect Jesus to return. And friends, I believe this parable is in reference to the Seventh-day Adventist church, the pure church, not defiled by false doctrine. And so we read on, verse two, now five of them were wise and five were Foolish. What made the five wise and what made the other five foolish? What's the difference? They're all members, if you will, of the true church. They're all waiting the coming of the bridegroom. They all accept the truths of Scripture. The foolisher doesn't say, are promoting some kind of heresy. They're all pure. They're all virgins. They all live moral and upright lives. They all enjoy fellowship with one another. What is it about these foolish virgins? Let's read on, verse 3. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Now, oil is associated with three things. First, when the priests inaugurated the temple with oil the priests in the sanctuary were inaugurated, when the sacred vessels were inaugurated with oil. Oil was a symbol of consecration, setting them apart. Total commitment to the kingdom of God. Second thing associated with oil, oil is a symbol of healing. The Good Samaritan treats his wounds with oil. James 5, we anoint in the hospital. This oil represents the total consecration, but also this healing property. If anyone's sick, call the elders of the church and so on. And it also mentions there the forgiveness of sins and all those things. The third is illumination. Oil provides the basis for the lamps. Is it true? And so we have God will give an end time people. Total consecration to him is what they'll have. That's one thing. With hearts healed of bitterness, pride, competition, self-inflated importance. And number three, who are consumed with holding a lighted torch, illuminating and proclaiming the coming of Jesus. Those are the three characteristics I see. Yet the sobering reality is that the foolish virgins thought that they had enough oil. But their supply of oil was not sufficient. The foolish virgins were superficial, if you will. Depending on their experience with Jesus, they once had in the past, but it's not now active in the present. And then it goes on to share that they all slumbered and slept. Living on the knife edge of eternity, the true church is pictured as spiritually drowsy because there's a delay. Asleep to the great opportunities to prepare the world for the coming of Jesus, the bridegroom. This is the message of the parable. And it's not that five are asleep, all are sleeping. There's spiritual drowsiness. Somehow this secular materialistic godless culture is affecting us as well as the world. Because all will be surprised by the coming of Jesus. But verse 6 is very fascinating. And that's what I want to focus on this morning. Verse 6 it says, And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. This is the midnight cry, if you will, that wakes up the sleeping church So the midnight cry tells the church that Jesus is where he's at the door. There is no speculation. There is no guessing. The entire church wakes up and says, behold, the bridegroom is here. He's at the door. And you know how the parable ends. The foolish virgins are out of oil and they're going looking for it and they're begging, will you give us some of yours? And they said, no, then we won't have enough. And then the wise go into the marriage supper of the lamb and the door is shut, meaning probation closes. But here's the point I want to make. The Midnight Cry makes it plain to the entire church that Jesus is at the door. So what's the Midnight Cry? Well, for you Adventists that know your history, the Midnight Cry in Adventism was the message that went forth right before 1844, before this great disappointment. This group of various denominations, there wasn't an Adventist church then, Various denominations and people groups around the world believed Jesus was at the door, and so they preached this midnight cry. But Jesus wasn't at the door as they believed. Something happened, but it wasn't Jesus coming. But God later affirmed through Ellen White that the light from that experience would keep them on the narrow path and would lead them to the end of time to meet Jesus. While they misunderstood the fulfillment of God had a purpose in their experience as they diligently searched the Bible again and again. What happened? What did we miss? And we can read about that experience in Revelation chapter 10. And we see that group is told, you are to prophesy again. So oftentimes that's what we hear in Adventist circles as the midnight cry. But the midnight cry is not behind us. It sort of is in part. But it's in front of us. It's still future tense. And so I still want to ask the question, what is the midnight cry? Because if we can answer that question, we will know what the prophetic catalyst is that sets everything into motion for the final and rapid culmination of Earth's history. Because the midnight cry is that finger hitting the domino, if you will, and there's a few things left to happen, but they happen very quickly. Just ba 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 Done. Now, I think it's also important to note that this midnight cry of Matthew 25, 6 is synonymous or equal to, or is the same as the loud cry in Revelation 18. The midnight cry in Matthew 25 is the same as the loud cry in Revelation 18. That is the same event is taking place in both. In both, the entire church wakes up to the midnight cry in Matthew 25 and the loud cry of Revelation 18. In Matthew 25, the wise versions have extra oil or the Holy Spirit, we could say. They receive the latter rain experience. In Revelation 18, we see the earth illuminate with the glory of God, which is the latter rain or the Holy Spirit being poured out. So the question is, what is the midnight cry or the loud cry? Same thing. And how is this prophetic catalyst going to take place before the end of the world? Let's turn to Revelation 18 because we need to look at this for ourselves. Revelation chapter 18. Same event, but a few extra clues here. Revelation chapter 18, verse 1, it says, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority or power or latter reign, we could say, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. I believe that to be the righteousness by faith message. And verse 2, and he cried mightily with a loud voice, or we could say with a loud cry, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, has become a dwelling place for demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. And then you get to verse 5, and it reads, For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Here's the clue for us. When do Babylon's sins reach unto heaven? Last Day Events, 198, it's actually Signs of the Times, but it's there in Last Day Events, probably easier for you to find. Same questions asked, when do her sins reach unto heaven? And it's in the context, as you read that, of Revelation 18, 2 to 5, those verses we just read. When the law of God is finally made void by, what's the word? Legislation. So the National Sunday Law is when Babylon's sins reach heaven. And so when you see the National Sunday Law, there will be a loud cry from heaven. It's the loud cry message which has two parts. It reveals the character of God that illuminates the entire earth, but it also reveals the character of Babylon. And the Sunday Law makes it plain. And it's at that point that the sins of Babylon reach unto heaven. And it's at that time that the call, the final call, come out of Babylon. You say, okay, so what? Here's the key point. Up until the National Sunday Law, we know that time is short. But will that be six days, six months, six years, 60 years? I remember my kids after, you know, Jesus is coming soon. They're like three years old, four years old. Daddy, it's taking a long time. You said it was soon. And up until the National Sunday Law breaks, we don't know how much time. And while there is not another time prophecy between 1844 and the second coming, we can see that from Scripture in Revelation 10, there is event Prophecies. So there's not time prophecies, but there are event prophecies. So here again is the main point. The key event that we are waiting for prophetically to know that the end of the world is here and Jesus is at the door, and we can proclaim, behold, he is at the door. The key prophetic event is the National Sunday Law. And when the National Sunday Law comes, there will be no more questions as to whether or not the world will be ending sometime soon. Should I go to college? Should I not go to college? Should I get married? Should I not get married? And back and forth, and I don't know, and da 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 when that breaks, the final events like those dominoes are going to start falling so fast. It'll be a sign that the end of the world has come. Here's a chart. I don't know if you've seen this before. It's a pretty complicated little chart here. We've been talking about the catalyst, the trigger that propels us into the rapid fulfillment of the final events before Jesus comes. We've come to understand the catalyst is the Sunday law, and we can find on the chart mm, right there kind of tiny but this chart can make us think we have plenty of time after the sunday law but we can think we have plenty of time right because we're still kind of on the left side here let me point something else out to you on this chart up here at the top line lengths on chart are not proportional to actual time involved kind of like your side mirror Meaning, we're trying to cram everything here onto a page so you can see it and kind of see how it all fits together, but the time is disproportional, kind of like maps. You studied that in school, how maps aren't always because they're different and they're showing different things. The reality is that when this happens, all of this happens really fast. I say all of this. We have a thousand years, a millennium over here. All of this happens really fast. The final moments will be rapid ones. Jesus will have to cut it short or none would survive, he tells us. It's at that time that we can say Jesus is at the door. Maybe this is another way of trying to illustrate it. And I spent some time on this. Here you have natural disasters, wars, false prophets, pandemics, lawlessness, riots, climate change, Pope having meetings, societal control, if you want to call it that, false narratives, big tech censorship. And when we see all of that, we can be tempted to try and go back to this chart and try and fit it in to some place on this chart. Where on this chart is the inauguration going to be? Where on this chart is COVID-19? Where on this chart? You get the idea? And Avenists, forever, we could say, practically, have tried to do that very thing, and their theology gets all mixed up when they do that. But here's why we say these are signs of the end, because all of them are pushing the needle a little bit closer to that one catalyst event. And what is it? It's the National Sunday Law. And when that happens, it's like a finger hitting the dominoes, and all of these other things happen rapidly and quickly, and before we know it, Jesus is at the door. Jesus reminds us of this very idea. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but the end is not yet. Right? And there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. Where does it fit on the chart, Jesus? All these things are the beginning of sorrows. The end is not yet. But when we see the National Sunday Law, the end is no longer near, it's here. And so we have the midnight cry is synonymous or equal to the loud cry, which is the same thing as the National Sunday Law. That's the catalyst. And it's this National Sunday Law that, you know, which affects the other. One really allows us, if you will, the National Sunday Law to give the midnight cry, to give the loud cry. And so when that breaks, what should I do with my job? Never mind. Should I go to school? Never mind. Your priorities, your focus, your long-range plans will all come to a screeching halt. Craziness, pastor, they won't for me. I'm going to push through. Okay. The reality is at that point, that's the midnight cry, the loud cry, Jesus is at the door. Even now, everything we are doing in our lives should be in the advancement of the cause of God's kingdom and to be ready for his coming and to help others to be ready for his coming because we know he's coming to visit. We just don't know when he's going to knock yet, but we see so many things pushing that needle a little bit further and further and further to where we know it will land. A few more quotes, Great Controversy 604, Come out of her, my people. Quoting Revelation 18:4, these announcements, united with the third angel's message, constitute the final warning to be given to the inhabitants of the earth. Volume 5 of the testimonies, 464 and 465. There's no time now for God's people to be fixing their affections on laying up their treasures in the world. The time is not far distant when, like the early disciples, we shall be forced to seek refuge in desolate and solitary places. As the siege of Jerusalem by the Roman armies was the signal for flight to the Judean Christians, so the assumption of power on the part of our nation in the decree enforcing papal Sabbath, National Sunday Law, will be a warning to us. Friends, this quote right here debunks the idea that COVID-19 is the siege of Jerusalem. It's not. Nor is the Blair Bill in 1888. It wasn't. Very clearly we see here that's the papal Sabbath being enforced by decree. That's the national Sunday law. That's the siege of Jerusalem. And so we could add that to our list. Midnight cry is the same as the loud cry. That's the same as the siege of Jerusalem. That's the same as the abomination of desolation. All of them are the national Sunday law. Volume five of the testimonies. Continuing it says it will then be time to leave the large cities. Preparatory to leaving the smaller ones for retired homes in secluded places among the mountains. And now instead of seeking expensive dwellings here, we should be preparing to move to a better country, even a heavenly. Instead of spending our means in self-gratification, we should be studying to economize. Every talent lent of God should be used to His glory in giving the warning to the world. And friends, here's the thing. The Sunday law is your last chance to leave the cities. And we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about that in a few weeks. But this year ought to be a wake-up call. That it's not a bad time to leave the cities now. Even this summer we were up vacationing in New Hampshire as a family and we were talking to an individual who said, oh yeah, real estate's just going crazy up here. What do you attribute that to? Everybody's getting out of New York and they want to find a place in the country so they're looking for property in New Hampshire. Friends, if New York City and secular individuals are seeing a wake-up call in what's happening, need I say more? I mean, there's all kinds of articles out there talking about people leaving New York City in, in droves. Estimated $34 billion in lost uh, income, according to one study. Uh, I think that's dated in December or something. Leaving New York, high earners in finance and tech explain why they left the world's, quote's greatest city. New Yorkers are leaving the city in droves. Here's why they're moving and where they're going. I have a friend that lived in downtown New York City, just blocks away from one of these main hospitals there in New York. And he said, I saw moving trucks like crazy. The streets were just filled and filled and filled with moving trucks. And so, yeah, while you could wait until the National Sunday Law as the last call to leave the city, why would you want to wait? Even this last year in a big city would not be where I'd want to be. So I want to encourage anyone listening that's living in the heart of one of our big cities to make it a matter of prayer. Ask the Lord to open doors so you can leave. And so when we see things like what we have witnessed this past week, I don't feel God is calling us to assign meaning to every event and make it fit into the fancy chart, but rather recognize that all these things are moving the need a little closer to that final culmination of all things. Have we seen that this past year? Stronger government censorship, tracking on your smart devices, forcing closures, mandates, people wanting to be safe at any cost, new ideas and proposed solutions, and the list goes on. And it all is moving the needle just a little bit closer to this national Sunday law, the catalyst. Great controversy, 579. In both the old Europe and the new world, United States, the papacy will receive homage in honor paid to the Sunday institution that rests solemnly upon the authority of the Roman church. Since the middle of the 19th century, students of prophecy in the United States have presented this testimony to the world. And the events now taking place is seen a rapid advance toward the fulfillment of the prediction. With Protestant teachers, there is the same claim of divine authority for Sunday keeping and the same lack of scriptural evidence. As with the papal leaders who fabricated miracles to supply the place of a command from God, the assertion that God's judgments are visited upon men for their violation of the Sunday Sabbath will be repeated. Already it's beginning to be urged, and a movement to enforce Sunday observance is fast gaining ground. Do we see that today? Have we seen Sunday observance being suggested? Are people touting climate change as a reason? Pope Francis, or revolution I should say, needed to combat climate change. Sabbath is at the heart of it, except it's not the seventh day Sabbath, as we understand it from Scripture. Pope to UN Climate Summit, now is time to change direction. And he's been very straightforward to everyone. I mean, observing Sunday is the answer omissions i mean covid was the perfect forced experiment and i don't think it was by chance i think the devil the mastermind was behind it all but omissions went down pollution went down nature responded in positive ways and now we have the science that proves this planet needs to rest one day a week and sunday's our day moving the needle just a little bit closer Almost done. When the angel of mercy folds her wings and departs. That's the angel of mercy. The idea of the one holding back the winds of strife. Satan will do the evil deeds he has long wished to do. Storm and tempest, war and bloodshed. In these things he delights and thus he gathers in his harvest. Friends, I believe we see God's spirit being withdrawn on the earth. I believe we see Satan doing what he's been longing to do for a long time. I can only imagine the delight that the devil himself had at this Wednesday's fiasco. And how this sets up further his agenda for his own harvest. And so completely will men be deceived by him that they will declare that these calamities are the result of the desecration of the first day of the week. From the pulpits of the popular churches will be heard the statement that the world is being punished because Sunday is not honored as it should be. And it will require no great stretch of imagination for men to believe this. They are guided by the enemy and therefore they reach conclusions which are entirely false. I think social media has a part in that, certainly. Your news and my news is tailored, if we get it from social media, to what I like If I'm a conspiracy theorist, that comes to me through a pipeline. If I'm a dyed-in-the-wool Democrat, comes through the pipeline, the Republican in the pipeline, whatever it is, it won't be hard to do people with false narratives. And so when the leading ministers of our time And I'm not trying to judge these individuals or their character. I'm hoping they'll respond to God's last day message and become part of the remnant church, and that would be wonderful. But my point is this. According to this quote, when you hear leading ministers agitating and calling for Sunday worship because God has poured out judgments on America, you can know that the National Sunday Law is just around the corner, friends. I'll give you one such example. Now, this is a picture of Ken Fields and his wife. And he's the pastor of the Bethel Baptist Church, which is actually in the suburbs of Chicago. And this is not, a, and this is a picture of his church. There's like five pastors on staff. It's a large church, but the story is not so much about him. It's about his father, Robert Fields, who came and spoke at his son's church. But he has a church up in Montreal. But I was listening to audio verse the other day, and Norm McNulty used this illustration, and Robert Fields, the father of the one pictured here put out a sermon. It's about 12 minutes long, a little mini sermon. If you could only get 12 minute sermons, wouldn't that be great? Sunday has been taken away was the title of it. Here's what he says in that message. Here's some highlights. Sundays have been taken away. Gatherings have been taken away. You know, we meet by live stream, but it's not the same. Something's missing. Even live stream is a poor replacement for meeting on the Lord's day, which in his understanding is Sunday. What is God trying to teach his church? Why would God take away Sunday? So many venues for sharing the gospel have been reduced. And listen to his reasons. The church needs to wake up and hear God's voice. And then he gives some key reasons. In looking at our present condition, the virus is a judgment on the Christian church. The church is closed. God has eradicated worship on his day. He has taken Sunday away. He is sending a message that he is not pleased with what the Christian church has done to his day of worship. Still in the context of Sunday, of course. I mean, you and I know that that's not the Lord's day, but that's his understanding. And he goes on, do you really think we have honored this day? We have not been following the fourth commandment, which is ironic to hear him say. As it plainly says in the fourth commandment, six days I shall labor and on the seventh day and so on. What used to be the Lord's day has been turned into the Lord's hour, he says. We don't abstain from work or play. Sunday has become optional for Christians. What are you suggesting? Well, he says we opt out of church to go to hockey games. Memories from Montreal. Lawn work. The church burns to the ground for the fourth commandment being violated. We are teaching the next generation that Sunday is not important. We must repent and change. God is speaking, but are we listening? Now again, I believe this is a sincere man. And he's deceived on which day is the Sabbath, and hopefully he'll come to a correct understanding. But also, don't we see how things are coming together and moving the needle a little bit closer? It's in a crisis that characters revealed. Christ Object Lessons 412. When the earnest voice proclaimed at midnight, behold, the bridegroom cometh, go out to meet him. And the sleeping virgins were roused from their slumbers, and it was seen who had made preparation for the event. Both parties were taken unawares, but one was prepared for the emergency, and the other was found without preparation. So now a sudden and unlooked-for calamity, something that brings the soul face-to-face with death, will show whether there is any real faith in the promises of God. It will show whether the soul is sustained by grace, The great final test comes at the close of human probation which it will be too late for the soul's need to be supplied. What is this saying? Right before the close of probation there will be a sudden and unlooked for calamity that will usher in this National Sunday Law and that will be the trigger and the catalyst for the end of the world. So what are we to do? How are we to prepare? How can we be a wise Virgin and not a foolish one. This next quotation is sobering to me. The class represented by the foolish virgins are not hypocrites. They have a regard for the truth. They've advocated the truth. They are attracted to those who believe the truth, but they have not yielded themselves to the Holy Spirit's working. They have not fallen upon the rock Christ Jesus and permitted their old nature to be broken up. They're here. They like the culture, they like the message, they're cozy with everything that we do, everything is just fine, but somehow their old nature, they're still hanging on to it, and they don't want to give it up, they don't want to fall on the rock of Jesus and be made new, but they think, because they're here, oh, I know Pastor Wright, he's a good guy, yeah, he's great, he has good sermons, blah, 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 that's not going to do anything for you, buddy you got to know it for yourself. you got to claim it for yourself. You've to be filled with the Holy Spirit yourself. We're not saved in groups. We're not saved by churches. We're not saved by denomination or, or even by families. We're saved as individuals. And so there's a group of individuals at the end time, right on the knife edge of eternity, and they're saying, you know, I'm here. Isn't that good enough? And their experience is so shallow That when something comes along, they'll say it's too much. It's too much. And perhaps there's some wondering here why so many bad things are happening to them. Maybe in God's mercy, He's preparing you and strengthening your faith, He's building your spiritual muscle for that day and that time. Last verse Luke 21, verse 25 to 31. And there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on the earth distress of nations with perplexity. The sea and the rays warring. Verse 26, men's hearts fail them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the power of the heavens will be shaken. Verse 27, then they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. And now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh. And he spoke to them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they are already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. Verse 31, so you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of heaven is. Is near. So, whatever it is in the news, the deadly wildfires, the pestilences, the Dow Jones having the worst single day last March, whether it be rioting, whether it be bare shelves, whether it be the virus becoming rampant, I think we're at the worst stage in Hendersonville if we've been this whole time. Whether it's the world responses or what the Pope's going to do or what's happening at the Capitol building or any number of things, look up your redemption draws not. It's my desire by God's grace that we'll have a clearer understanding of the prophetic events that will be coming on this world and that we'll have a closer walk with the Lord and realize that he's coming to save us and that we may use this opportunity now, today, to share these truths with the world. And let's not get caught up with speculation. Let us follow the clear prophetic signs that have been given to us. The Sunday law is the trigger, the catalyst that will rapidly propel us to the second coming of Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, as we see things unfold all around us, may we not get involved with speculation, but may we be grounded in your word and the spirit of prophecy that you've given to us, that the needle is pushing forward and very soon that catalyst will be struck. And things will wrap up mighty quickly. May we do today what is most important, as we are guided by your Spirit, that we may not have any regrets on that day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons,